Well, good morning, Hillcrest. I'm super excited to be with you guys. Um, everything that Nate said was false. I'm not good at this at all. Um, we're just sort of winging this. We're going to see how it goes. Um, but I love Nate, and I love Selah. Um, you guys are lucky to have them. You know, believe it or not, Nate actually was my intern for a while. Um, so your lead pastor at one point in life got me coffee when I wanted it. I'm just kidding. He did far more than that. Nate is super gifted, and his wife is incredibly gifted as well. But they are incredible, and you guys are honestly blessed to have them as your lead pastor and working with kids here. So, And I couldn't be more honored to be a part of a Sunday with you guys here. It's always great to, to show up to a church and get to speak and not be the lead pastor or be the teaching pastor because I get to just go to church. I get to be like a normal person. So... Um, let's dive in today. Before we hop into the scriptures, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a moment in life where you've been lost? Where you have been um, disoriented, I think is the word. Where it's felt like you've sort of been stumbling around in the dark. A few summers ago, my wife and uh, some of our good friends from back home in Illinois, we went out to Colorado Springs. My in-laws own a beautiful home up in the mountains in Colorado Springs. Um, and so we went out there to just spend a week and relax and get away. Our friends told us one of the things that they wanted to do was go on a hike, which I was not looking forward to. Um, I don't know if you can tell, but I have the physique of someone who doesn't hike. Um, I'm built like someone who thinks about working out and then doesn't. And so they said, we really want to go on a hike. I said, okay, I guess we'll go. Um, my wife says, hey, we're going to take the dog with us. We had just gotten a puppy named Chance. He's a Labrador retriever. So we take him with us on this hike as well. Her parents told us, oh, this trail is super easy. It'll be easy for you to find, easy for you to stay on. It'll take you about an hour to go and come back. They said, you're going to go down this way, and you're going to take a left once you see the trail. So the four of us, plus this dog, we, we head down this way, and we get to where there's supposed to be a trail. And there is no clear marked trail. So instead of going left, my friend Jason, who's in the front, he says, you know what, this looks like the right way, and he goes right. To which I say, I don't think this is the right way. My best friend Jason and my wife simultaneously turn around and look at me and go, Rory, you need to quit being negative. <laughs> I was like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know we were going to be honest today. That's great. Um, I said, fine, I'm going to stay back here with this dog that you've made me drag along on this hike, and I'm just going to be quiet. Some of you can see where the story is headed. 45 minutes, an hour goes by. We have walked on nothing that looks like a trail. We've walked over logs. We've walked over whole, whole trees that have fallen. And finally, from the front of the pack, my buddy Jason, I hear him softly say, you know, I think we're lost. And me in the back, not being negative, says, I think you're right. We've been lost since we started. And I immediately go, you know what? I give up. This is how we end. This is how it goes. We're all going to die out here on this mountain. Uh, this is actually feels like the plot of a horror movie. Four teenagers, four young people walking out on a mountain, and they're with a dog, and they're lost, and it's dark, and then something comes out from the forest, and we all die. That's what it feels like is starting to happen in this moment, I look at my friend, I look at my wife, go, babe, I love you, but I'm never going hiking with you people again. Never doing it again. 
We were lost for almost three hours before we found our way back to what even resembled a road. We had been lost for so long, I forgot who I was out there. I don't know about you, but that is what 2020 has felt like for me. Being completely lost, completely disoriented. What was always supposed to be up somehow became down. What was always down had somehow become up. Left was right, right was left. The whole year has felt disorienting. And, and on top of just 2020 itself, right? We've, we, I could give the list. We've had COVID, so we've had a global pandemic. People are sick. Hundreds of thousands of people have died in, in a horrifying experience of loss. We've had political tensions, right? 2020 is funny. They were like, we're going to give you COVID and we're going to make it an election year at the same time. Everything became politicized, right? Do you wear a mask? Who knows? We've had significant racial tensions. I mean, the list can go on and on and on of the things that we've experienced and struggled through. And what I've found with many people right now is that many people are just done. Like, I'm done. I'm so over this. I'm so over it. We're just waiting for the calendar to turn to 2021. It'll feel like the, the best New Year celebration we've ever had. It's felt like we've been lost, we've been disoriented, we've been out of sorts. This is not the year that we planned. For my generation, this is the first time we've ever gone through something like this. For older generations, it may not be the first time you've seen something similar to this, but it's still brand new. See, what I love about the scriptures is that the metaphor that it uses to talk about seasons like this is a valley. I love that we talked about Psalm 23 this morning. It talks about this idea of a valley. Because if you've ever been in a valley, what you know about it is it doesn't matter how beautiful it looks. The reason that the Bible uses this metaphor is because when you're in a valley, you can't see what's behind you, you can't see what's ahead of you, and you can't see what's on either side. In other words, your past, the goodness, the things that you can remember and hold on to, gone. You can't see it. The stuff that's on the sides, you can't see it either. And the hope of something that's coming up that's good is so difficult to see as well. So the question that we all have to wrestle with, because unfortunately this year's not over, and we don't know how long this valley lasts, the question that we have to wrestle with is how do we get through the valley? How do we get through it? How do we get through it and still have joy? How do we get through it and still have hope? How do we get through it and somehow be better than we were when it started? And what I love about the Bible is there's a picture that's painted for us in Psalm 23 of what it looks like for us to do this. And I'm going to be real honest with you today. The way that I want to teach through this, I just want to give you my reflections on this psalm. The things that I've learned through this year and the things that I think, if we can all begin to grasp, will actually give us a better, more vibrant, a fuller version of our faith that will make us better on the other side of it. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm chapter 23. If not, we're going to have some of the scriptures up here on the screen. To give you a little bit of context, though, Psalm 23, most people would say, was written by a man named David. Now, if you've grown up in church, you've heard of David before. You've heard of his stories, mostly with David and Goliath, this little shepherd boy who defeats this, this giant. But that's only part of his story. See, David, his life, when we sort of meet him first in the story of the Bible, we meet him as a small shepherd boy, the smallest of his tribe. I mean, he's like the runt of the litter running around 
but God has somehow given this kid incredible power. And we know this because what happens, even as a little shepherd boy, is, is he's anointed to become the future king of Israel. He's anointed, and, and David, through, this, through this, this incredible span of life, experiences everything. He experiences the lows of being a small shepherd boy. But he also experiences the riches and the wealth and the prosperity of being a king. He experiences the vast span of what life can offer. And we don't know when Psalm 23 was written. We don't know if it's written early in life, late in life. I like to imagine that this is David looking back across his life and recognizing the places that God has shown up. And this is what David write, writes in Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His namesake. Now, I love this phrase in here. And it's one that maybe you've read this psalm before. I mean, most people have read this psalm before. If you've heard it before. It's in pop culture everywhere. Often we read this during a funeral. For some reason, it's become the psalm that we read at funerals or when a loved one is passing, but there's so much more going on it. I, I love the phrase that's in here. It says that he, he being Yahweh, being God, the, the shepherd in this story, he makes me lie down. Now, some translations say different things, and I don't know which one you're reading out of, but, but the NIV says that he makes me lie down. Now, the Hebrew word that's going on in this, in this phrase is actually one whole Hebrew phrase they would say it as rabats, which simply means that there is something, some sort of force being applied on you. See, often when I read this, I picture this idea that the shepherd is letting me lie down. He's being sweet and gentle, the way that I would like lay my son down to put him to sleep at night, right? You don't lay your kid down with force or they won't sleep, which means my wife doesn't sleep, which means I don't sleep. It says that the shepherd is forcing you to lie down. See, when they say shepherd in Israel, it wasn't just the, the guy out with a staff leading a flock of sheep, although that would have been an image that would make sense to David. He was once a shepherd. See, shepherd was a, was a word that they also gave to the people who were rulers and who were kings at the time. The ones who had real authority. The ones who had real power and real control. In other words, the thing that I think David wants us to get is that we are not the ones that are in control. The shepherd is. God is. So the reflection that I have on this is simple. We can throw it up on the screen. I am not in control. That's okay. Some of you just need to say that out loud today at some point. I'm not in control. And that's okay. You know, the beautiful thing this is not profound, but it's going to feel profound. God has never asked you to be in control. Isn't that a beautiful thing? God has never looked at you and said, I really want you to be in charge of the world. This is not Bruce Almighty. He's never looked at you and said, you know what? I think we'd be better off if, if you were in charge. Not because he thinks low of you, not because He hasn't created you with dignity and purpose and power. But he's never asked to lay that burden on you. 
Think about the, the state of your life. I don't know where some of you are right now. Think about your finances, your, your marriage, your career, the, the good, the bad. Isn't it crazy that we feel like we have to be in control of all of it? That we have to rule over everything. Which part of that is that we get that word wrong. See, in the beginning, it says God creates the heavens and the earth, and then He creates humans to partner with Him. And the word that He uses is rule. He wants you to rule with Him, which is a partnership word. It is not a word that you take everything on yourself. It's not, hey, you need to solve all your financial issues. It's not, hey, you need to fix your marriage on your own. It's not, hey, you need to solve your 401k and all the money that you've lost with it on your own. It is a partnership statement. You are never meant to be in control. That's okay. So what do you do with that reality? It's easy for me to stand up here and say, you're not in control, and that's somehow good. How do you begin to make that a part of your life? There's a phrase that I've been using recently. It's this. We need to find every opportunity to pass on power, to give it up. There's a reason that whenever Jesus talked about power, he said the greatest will be the least. And the least will be the greatest. Because having the most control, having the most power, does not mean that you are actually in a better spot. This is why, and I swear Nate did not ask me to talk about this. This is why generosity is so important. This is why offering finances is so important. Not because the church needs your money, not because God is broke. But because finances have such a control on our life that when we give, whether it's to a church or to people, whatever, whether it's through, through giving away gifts to people, when we give things away, we open up our hands and say, God, not my power, not my control. I'm not in control. You're the good shepherd. You get to be in control. And all of that is very easy to say. But what about when life is really hard? Which is what David gets to next, and maybe the verse that we've all heard the most. Verse 4, he says this, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I love this because he paints this picture of what about when we're in the worst spot? We're emotionally drained. Our career feels like it's going nowhere. Our family doesn't feel like it's connected the way it was last year. Our Christmas plans are getting canceled left and right. Everything that we want that is good and hopeful and joyful feels like it's gone. And he uses the word fear. And what is it like to be afraid? To be afraid that the future won't be what you thought it would be. To be afraid that the life you thought you had, you may not have. See, I've heard over and over again this sort of axiom that the opposite of fear is faith, which I could go on about why I don't know if that's true or not. The opposite of fear is always courage. But not courage in the sense of you're going to stand up and take control and be in charge. See, the greatest act of courage that you can have is to give things up. It takes more courage to give up, to, to pass on power, to let it go, 
than it does to hold on to it. The, out in the same place in Colorado Springs, there's a, a park called Garden of the Gods. If you've ever been out there, you, maybe you've seen it. It's this, this, these huge rock formations. They're beautiful. My wife and I actually got engaged there um, six years ago. The last time I was out there, my father-in-law said, hey, do you want to go rock climbing at Garden of the Gods? Now, a couple things to know about me. I am terrified of heights. Like this, stressing me out a little bit even. I'm kidding. Some of you are like, get him down. Um, terrified of heights. They finally, they get me in these rock climbing shoes, and I'm climbing, and the whole way I'm just going, my father-in-law's here, I have to impress him. My wife's here, I can't make her think she married someone who's a wimp. So I get to the top, and I'm like, whew, I made it. That was hard. Again, not a body built for rock climbing. I get to the top, and he goes, all right, now you just got to lean back, and I'll, I'll catch you. I'll support you with the rope. I'm like, that is not what I signed up for. I'm like, I am way too high up here, and you just want me to fall back? But that's how rock climbing works. Once you get to the top, the only way that you get down is if you have enough courage to trust that the person at the bottom has got you. And I think the same is true for our lives. See, the opposite of fear is not faith. The opposite of fear is courage. To have enough courage to go, God, you didn't create me to be in control. You didn't create me to have the power in this. You created me to actually let go enough that you can have control. Because when I do that, your will can now be accomplished in my life. I was on a plane a few months ago and... Um, Again, don't love heights, so I'm on this plane, and uh, whenever I travel with people, I put on a pretty good face. Nate's traveled with me before. I try to like talk about a lot of stuff so that I'm focused. I just don't love being on planes. I've never really understood why. I just thought it was the height thing. But then this last time, I was flying to Southern California, and I'm sitting on this plane. We're probably 45 minutes into the flight, and I see the pilot walking down the aisle, and he's talking to people. You know, shaking people's hands, kissing babies like he's the president or something. I didn't know what was going on. And he's talking to people, and I have this moment in my brain, right? Irrational anxiety. Who's flying the plane? And I was like, autopilot's a thing. Certainly there's a co-pilot. Is there a co-pilot? I start having these moments where I'm going, who is in charge of this flight? And I realize that that's the reason I don't like flying, is because it gives me the reality that I am, in fact, not in control that I don't have the power, that I don't have the authority to command this thing. And I have to lean back, literally lean back in my seat and trust that someone else has got this. Now the question becomes, in our spiritual life, how do we not fear? How do we eliminate the fear? Right, Because it's easy to say, well, I'm just going to let God have it and that will help me. No, there's a way in which you eliminate the fear. And I love what David says here he says even though i walk through the darkest valley i will fear no evil why for you are with me see the truth is is that i'm not afraid but i'm not afraid because i'm not alone that's why i get to be not afraid you don't get to not be afraid just because you sort of muster up some courage you get to be afraid because you are not alone god promises to be with you this has been his promise to his people since the beginning of time, and we see it completed in the person of Jesus. You know, throughout my life, 
I've often heard people talk about the power of the gospel is that God suffered for us, right? He gave his life on a cross. He died so that our sins could be taken away. He did something for us. I believe the power of the cross is that God gives us a picture of what it looks like for God to suffer with us. God is not afraid of your pain because he's chosen to experience it himself. God is not afraid of your financial trouble because he's chosen to experience it himself. God's not afraid of the the fear of your marriage or your relationships falling apart because God has chosen to see that and feel it himself. Every miracle that Jesus does in the Gospels is not just a picture to reveal how powerful he is. It's a picture to reveal how much he understands you. That he understands loss. That he understands hurt. He understands fear. This is the power of who Jesus is. Not that he did something for you. While that is true, he did something with you. Which means as you find yourself walking through those dark valleys, you can know that he's with you. Not just because the Bible says so, but because you know that his character, his person, his being is good, that he's experienced all of those same emotions that you've experienced. It's just who he is. He doesn't know how to not feel what you're feeling. The truth is this, and if this is the one thing you walk away with today, this is what you need. When you trust that God is in control, you lack nothing, you fear nothing, and you have everything that you need. This is how David ends this psalm. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. He's continuing this picture that God is with him. He's giving him protection and care. He understands him. And then he says this, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You have everything that you need. Now I know that can be difficult to think in this year. But I have everything that I need. This is why the the fascination with toilet paper that we all had a while ago was so interesting to me. What were we going to do with all that toilet paper? We're just going to keep it? Were we going to give it away? We just kept it. I remember going to Target the day that I heard toilet paper was selling out, and I was like, wow, there's really no toilet paper. And all I could think was, these people did not prioritize well, because I at least had some toilet paper in my house. But that's what was happening When we walk through the darkest valleys, we have this fear that what we have is not enough. And sometimes the fear, if we're honest, this is church, we can be honest, is that God and His presence will also not be enough. Because let's be real, if we thought it was enough, we wouldn't rush out to get toilet paper. If we thought it was enough, we wouldn't complain about the lack of internet speed as we do Zoom calls for our job. If we thought that, that what God had for us was enough, we, we wouldn't freak out over having to homeschool our kids. Doesn't mean it's not hard, doesn't mean it's not difficult. But we wouldn't be terrified. We wouldn't have fear. See, that's the power of contentment. That's why contentment has been a spiritual practice for thousands of years. The idea that you would look at everything that you have, 
whether it's abundance, whether it's slim, whether it's an overabundance, and you would go, what I have is enough. So, so this is the truth. As we walk through the darkest valleys, because again, 2020 may not be the first, but it certainly won't be the last for many of us. We're going to face many moments in our lives where we go, feel like I am in the worst place imaginable. We have to remind ourselves that, that we're not in control and that's okay. But we can also be confident that we don't have to be afraid because God is with us. And if God is with us, then we have everything that we need. What I love about this psalm is the way that it ends. With this phrase that surely your goodness will follow me. Believe it or not, the writers of the Bible were extremely intelligent people. Extremely creative. David starts with this picture that God is like a shepherd. And he's like a sheep. That he is following God to all of these places. He's following him to the, to the meadows where he gets to lay down and rest. But he's also following him through these dark valleys. And what I love about what David does is he then flips the script on us. And he says, Yahweh's goodness, God's goodness is now following us. It's no longer us that are just following the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd is with us wherever we go. If you step into a new career, God's with you. If you step into a new relationship, God is with you. If you step into anything that is confusing and disconcerting and you don't know what is going to happen, God is with you. Through sickness, and through death, God is with you. Through canceled and changed holiday, holiday plans, God is with you. Through job loss, through disappointment, He promises to be with you. The reason He does this is not because of how great you are, it's not because He has to, but it's because He promises that He will be. And that can give us all the contentment in the world. I want to invite the worship team to come back up here as we wrap this up. You know, we see this come to the fullest picture in the person of Jesus. Not just that He suffered with us and for us, but that even before He died, as He was talking to a group of His disciples, He began to draw this picture for them of what it meant for them to follow Him. He says this, and it could not be more direct. I am the Good Shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. See, Jesus, Jesus is saying that the invitation to all people is to follow Him through the darkest valleys. Not to try to build power up for ourselves and hold on to it, but to allow Him to be the one that we follow. This is the picture. This is the life that Jesus offers. For you to take the weight of control off of your shoulders. You don't have to have all the answers. And isn't that freeing? You don't have to be in control. And isn't that life-giving? You don't have to know what is at the end of the valley. You just have to know that you're following the shepherd. So let me ask you, what would your life look like if you began to follow the good shepherd in a way that you haven't before? Because all of us face the tension and the reality that there are things in our life that we are unwilling to let go of control of. 
And the reason we do it is fear. We're afraid. Man, if I, if I let go of my fear of my finances, then who else is going to take care of it? The problem is, is when you hold your fear of your finances like this, you couldn't catch some free resources if you had to. You couldn't catch the blessing if you needed to. Well, what about, what about my fear of my career? And I want to I get promoted. I want to move up. But, but I need to hold on to it. I need to clean. Power is not the way to move up the ladder. Confidence in who God has created you to be and called you to be and you using those gifts and those skills, that's how you move up the ladder. See, even though we walk through the darkest valley, we don't have to fear because we have everything that we need. Let me pray over you this morning. God, we love you and we thank you that we get to gather as a a group of followers of Jesus, that we get to be this community of faith that seeks after you. So God, in these next few moments, we ask that you would speak to us. Where are the places that we have fought for control? Where are the places we refuse to let go as we walk through the valley? God, for the person who is filled with fear and crippled by it, we ask that you would set them free today. We ask that you would give them a sense of peace and trust that only you can offer. Remind us that the greatest act of courage we can ever have is to trust you, to give you control, and to find contentment in you. God, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.